You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hey everybody, welcome to the Man Box. My name is Rick Fry. There, there are a few men in my life that have had major impact. My guest today is one of those guys. Um, he teaches the truth, and I love his how he teaches it, um, and I, I love the message that he brings. and And his emphasis is mostly on God's grace in our lives and our identity. So I'm going to introduce uh, Pastor Steve Eden of Grace Church in Choctaw. Hello, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. This is exciting to me. Me too. Glad to be here. So that we can all get to know you a little bit better. Can you give yeah. us a history lesson on the life of Steve Eden? <laughs> well, Steve Eden, he grew up in Hera, Oklahoma. You've been there your whole life? Whole life. Uh, Stacy and I did move out for a year after we got married. In uh, August of 92, we got married. We lived in Oklahoma City for just over a year. At uh, We were at South Oklahoma City in some townhouses. And she went out of town one weekend for travel. Uh, she was a travel agent at the time, and then uh, I heard gunfire outside of the you know the townhouse where we were. So I called 911. Said I'm not sure, but it sounds like there was gunfire here. And she said, Yeah, it's it, it's true. We've gotten a call. You stay inside. And I was like, Well, that won't be a problem. <laughs> I don't plan on running out and playing John Wayne or anything. So after that, I was like, okay, Lord, might be time to move back uh, to the rural areas. Oh <laughs> so goodness. anyway, we ended up building a house just a year later. And so that was our stint in uh, life outside of Hera. And then, of course, I was in college at Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, two and a half hour drive. But uh, played. So you commuted? I, n- no, I, like I'd come home on the weekends oh, okay. every once in a while. Okay. <laughs> right, good, good question. <laughs> but uh, played college baseball there four years. I was a pitcher. Um, in high school, I played both basketball and baseball, oh. and I still play basketball to this day. I'll be 50 in September. Oh, my gosh. But I still play a couple of nights a week up at the Hera First Baptist Church. What was your best pitch? Uh, slider. Slider. <laughs> uh, slider. I, I wasn't going to overpower anybody. I, that and the curveball, I think maybe my biggest asset was I could throw a fastball or a curveball or a slider or a changeup, the changeup the least of the four, uh, all for strikes. I, I had pretty good control, but that's good because I didn't have a lot of velocity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> That's all I know about pitching. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good question. Uh, if you want me to go into some of the ministry side, I you know I graduated from Northeastern, please, uh, with a degree, bachelor's degree in tourism management. So I've never been to to seminary, but people tell me you know the hotel industry is befitting of me. Like, <laughs> you know, you invite people in, you tell them the truth, here's the situation, and then you send them on their way. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I went to work at State Department of Tourism in Oklahoma City uh, for probably over a year. And then my dad is retired Air Force, Air Force Colonel from Tinkers. So he mm-hmm. got, uh, he, he helped get me a job at an aviation company in Oklahoma City called Robinson Van Vuren and Associates. They were air traffic controller uh, contracts is what they did. And uh, so anyway, uh, it was more money. So I was like, yep, I'll do it. So (laughs) I'd just been married to Stacy, you know, and so I did that. And then a couple of years in, Rick, I got miserable. I was like, there is something off here. I'm not supposed to be here. I was an elder at the time at Life Christian Center. Uh, J. Dwight Burchett was the senior pastor. It was a formerly a Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. but they had uh, moved to non-denominational uh, back in 1985. And I'd been going there since 1986 when I was 16 years old. My mom took us out there, uh, me and my brothers. And I, I grew up Methodist, so I thought, wow, this is incredible. We got electric guitars. We got bass. We got drums, you know, so that was very appealing to me. Uh, did you so, play one of those instruments? No. I did play, this is so funny, I played in garage band in uh, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. We had a little rock band, uh-huh. and I played drums and sang some in that. But uh, so being being an elder at Life Christian, I went ahead and uh, 
I, I was aware that they were going to hire more staff. Well, I was I was unsettled, you know, at uh, at the aviation company because mm-hmm. I just felt like God had something else. Man, I I don't know how to describe it other than there was an inner unsettling that I was not supposed to be there. And so I applied for a job at the church to work in the business office because I had a business degree. And uh, turns out, like a few days before the hiring was announced, the process was over and all that. Uh, Pastor Burchett called Stacy and I to his office, and and uh, or no, sorry, I got ahead of myself. I had found out a few days before that they were going to hire for an outreach pastor too, not just one position but for two I didn't really know about that and so um, then the day of the hire came and he said do you want the good news or the bad news I said I'll take the bad news first he said well we don't want to hire you as administrator we want you to be in the business office but the good news is we want you to be the outreach pastor and that's how I got into ministry Wow Uh, as far as full-time ministry career you know so I took an ordination test which was pretty much just Pentecostal mm-hmm. I think it was about 30 questions and uh, that I passed that test that's how I got licensed through uh, Life Christian Center and that's uh, like I said I've never been to seminary but that was my course into full-time ministry and then I was there exactly four years from August 94 to August 98 same unsettling uh, I just felt like my season there was done. They were transitioning. The church was kind of transitioning to a new uh, leadership and some and different ideas. And so I just resigned. I didn't even have a job, but I resigned. Took three months off to seek the Lord. Brian Cannon, who you know Brian and Gretchen mm-hmm. from yes. Grace Church, he and his dad uh, owned a construction business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're laughing, and I didn't even have to finish the story. I call it the mercy hire of all time, and they hired me because I didn't have a job, mm-hmm. and I, I just helped tear down some buildings, and even in the midst, I, I wasn't building anything, Rick. I was only there as a you know a gopher guy and to help tear down things that need to be destroyed. In the midst of that three months, I broke two hammers. You know, trying to just extract nails because I guess I didn't know how to do it. Then I broke Brian's headlight one day with a sledgehammer because <laughs> <laughs> I put down the uh, I, I I laid the sledgehammer down, but you there the head weighs so much yeah. you gotta allow for the force, and I didn't, so it knocked out his headlight. And so it's an ongoing uh, great humorous story. Well, I'm I have the same same skill set when it comes to <laughs> gotcha. construction. I area. tell people when they they call and uh, call the house and say, "Is Steve?" handy that Stacy says no but he's here <laughs> so good. anyway that's how I got into ministry I was there four years and then took three months off and Stacy and I started uh, a Bible study we didn't even know if it was going to be a church Rick we didn't know what it was going to be we knew that we wanted something simplistic that we would meet in our house we had 11 adults that came uh, it's about October of 1998 and uh, we just wanted to know Jesus. Really, we wanted to know him and make him known. We felt like Jesus is what everything was about, what the church should be about, and all that. Well, it did grow. It turns out there were other people who were looking for the same uh, parse down, you know, take all the fluff and stuff out of it or the religiosity or the programs or whatever, and let's seek the seek the Lord together and grow in Him, and that is what is now Grace Church. So it's been going 21 years. Wow. Yep. Well, that's great. And um, before we get into the topic, I want to ask some personal questions. Um, how'd you meet Stacy? You... Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah. Uh, Hera High School, my senior year, I go to boys basketball. Probably would have been September. You know, we started a little bit later back then, so maybe late August or, or September. And there's this girl sitting in the bleachers. Uh, for the first three days of school, she was accidentally enrolled in boys' basketball. <laughs> I had never met her, but for three days she sat in the stands there, and I asked one of my friends, do you know who that is? And he said, yeah, I used to ride the bus with her when we were little. Uh, her name is Stacy Hibden, and so uh, I started down a path of trying to get to know her, and you know, I'd bum money from her at lunch. <laughs> so I could buy Little Debbie snack cakes. <laughs> but, you know, any reason to, to talk to her. 
And so uh, around December, it took me a little while. She had a boyfriend, so we had to get rid of him. Uh, but around December, I asked her if I could get her phone number, maybe call her sometime, we could hang out. And she said yes. So uh, that's it. That's the story. That's how I met her. That's Well, I, usually I, the follow-up question is, uh, um, did she like you at first, or did you have to win her over? Uh, I would say I think she liked me. Yeah, I think she liked me. Oh, and the yeah. funny thing is it took him three days to get her schedule changed. How, how odd is that? <laughs> you know, because they kept telling her, well, just keep going to boys basketball. We're working <laughs> on it. <laughs> so I guess the Lord had other plans. Yeah, he did. And you need to thank somebody. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm married up. That's, oh, that, my goodness. That's the truth. Me too. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out uh, an unclumsy way to move into the topic because look, I'll just tell you what I believe and mm. think and then you can okay. share. I think based on John 17 okay. that then that's what we named this ministry after oneness is that um, the prayer was for us to be in the same relationship with the Father that Christ was in. Mm -hmm. And so when we accept Christ, then we become a part of that one, yes. that Amen. one relationship. So Christ is in me. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do, how, how is it that, that, that I am Christ mm -hmm. as Christ is in me? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And yet, so I think if I hear you right, you're saying, how is it that I have Christ in me, I've got the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead in me, and I'm at oneness with mm -hmm. him. Yes. And then, uh, but I'm also man, mm -hmm. I fail, I stumble, I have bad thoughts. Is that kind of what you're That's, asking? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's, how do we find a balance? I think for me, it's, it's spirit, soul, and body. When I got the revelation of spirit, soul, and body, man, the scriptures came alive. I even started to be able to understand, I think it's in Romans 10, and James also says it, I can't remember where at in James, but that my soul is being saved. So my spirit man is saved. I am sealed. I am his. You know, how do you unbirth somebody? Once you're, once you're well, my daughter Noel, mm -hmm. who, who works uh, alongside of Oneness Some, uh, she is my daughter forever by birth. Well, what if she lands in jail? She's still my daughter. What if she does something really, really bad? She's still my daughter by birth. And so, uh, but when I would see that, you know, here I'm righteous and I'm holy and I'm accepted in the beloved, then I, then I started to realize, but sometimes Steve does things that aren't righteous, aren't holy, aren't very beloved, you know, then uh, how does that happen? And it's my soulish man that's being saved. So my spirit is sealed. Oh, I love Matthew 13, 33. Jesus likened the kingdom of heaven to leaven that a woman introduced to, get this, three-part meal. Mm. The leaven was introduced to one part. That's my spirit man until all three parts are leavened. So what his desire is, is this ongoing transformation or sanctification of Steve where his spirit, soul, and body all glorify him. And that does happen, you know. Uh, I would like to say on a fairly regular basis, but are there times that Steve, in his uh, thought life or his emotions, <laughs> his reactions to life, uh, and a demonstration is his body are not, uh, are not glorifying of the Lord? Yes, those things still happen. Sure. But I, I feel loved in all that, I think. I'm getting ready, you know, Sunday I'm going to talk some, we're, we're talking about uh, humility, different, different tenets that the Lord has given us, but in the way of humility, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, uh, to the elect of God, and, and literally those chosen, God elected you, so to the chosen of God, holy and beloved, well, that's my justification. I'm, I'm fully loved and, and, and settled there. I'm safe there. Mm -hmm. Because that's the real Steve. That is the spirit man Steve that will live for eternity. But then he says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercy. Put on humility. Put on kindness. And then he goes on to say, put on forgiveness, meaning forgive as, you've, mm -hmm. uh, as Christ forgave you, past tense. Uh, 
And then he says, especially, above it all, put on love, wow. which is the bond to all of our unity and, and, and perfection. So what I'm getting at in that is justification, I'm holy, accepted, and beloved, okay? okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm settled there. But sanctification is the process where Steve gets to live out his rightness in flesh and bone. And I, that's why I love that passage, because he gives us this very kind instruction out of not he didn't say so you could become elect so you could become holy so you can be loved by god he said no you already are so here's some great instruction for you because this is what lives in your spirit man does that make sense that makes total sense and so and so what a journey to get to flesh that out and walk it out in my soul my body my emotions my choosing mechanism you know the soul i believe is spirit or is a uh, mind will and emotions mm-hmm. So you think those thoughts and you go back to saying, hey, I can be humble because, and I can put on humility because humility is really who I am out of my what? My union with Christ. The humble one is in me. I'll never forget him telling me, this helped me many years ago, Steve, don't strive to love. Surrender to my love that's already in you. Wow. He said, Steve, don't strive to be holy. Surrender to my holiness that's in you. So just, you know, you understand this. We're learning to live out of our union that's in our spirit, man. So the goal is not to feel sanctified. The goal is to live out of sanctification. That is, you're in the process of. That's right. I'm going to live from my justification. (laughs) Justification means declared right in God's sight. So I've been made, it also means made, I've been made and declared right in his sight. So that's a finished work. But yeah, I'm going to live from that. And out of that, that, that process of Jesus and I's love relationship every day is sanctification. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Romans eight twenty nine that we're all predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. But isn't that awesome? I mean, look at the difference between, hey, I'm safe and I'm loved and Jesus is walking. I'm in union with him and my spirit, man. I'm, I belong to him. But out of that safety, let's walk together. Let's, you know, my mind was trained by the world. My mind was trained by the flesh all those years. It's got to be retrained. <laughs> but he's, he's committed to that process. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Which one's faithful? He is yes. faithful to complete it. Now, he does ask for my partnership, obviously. He's not going to override my free will. But as I partner with him, I be- get conformed to his image. And that, and that glorifies the Lord. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I had a question. Let me, let me get it back. Okay. Um, putting on. Yeah. Is that the same as choosing? I, I think so. Here's the beauty of it. And I'm glad you asked that question because for my notes for Sunday, I actually use this example. So this shirt I have on, you know, the listeners can't see it, but it's right. a blue shirt. <laughs> well, I went into my closet. And the, sh- the shirt did not leap on my body. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm sure of it. <laughs> I actually had to take the shirt and put it on. Okay, so that's, that's my part. But here's the beautiful part is, did I already possess the shirt? I did. It's already mine it's in on. him. So when he says, hey, put on love, Steve, it's not like I got to go get love or manufacture it. I have love. He gave it to me. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says that the Holy Spirit came inside of us, listen to this, to, to show us everything that's already ours in Christ. Amen. So putting on doesn't mean manufacture. No. It simply means access it, participate with it. You know, he didn't, again, make the shirt come on. I, I did choose to put it on, but uh, I, just, I just put it on and walk, walk it out. I love that. You put on what you already possess. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great way of saying it. Yeah. Put on what you already possess. Yeah. I'm going to steal that. It's yours. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Uh, I have a question. Let's see. What was it? What was it? What was your... Okay. I've heard you say that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Talk about that a little bit from your perspective. Okay. Um, He was fully man in that, you know, he went to the restroom. He got dressed every day. You know, angels didn't fly down and (laughs) dress him all all those things. That we know of. That we know of. Uh, He 
showered or how you know if they did that what just those kind of things as a human being uh but fully god in that jesus had the spirit without measure that's what i, I believe it's ephesians but think about that it's, it's amazing he had the spirit without measure and then philippians 2 though you know which is about humility mm-hmm. and i love i love how he says uh, to walk in humility in Philippians 2 regarding others is more important than yourself. So that's actually a uh, a flesh and, and bone, if you will, of you know when we read in Scripture, well, we need to put on humility. What does that really look like? It's actually regarding others is more important than you are. Yeah. Man, and my flesh does not like that. It does. Mine doesn't. <laughs> I mean, try that in marriage, right? <laughs> we want to be served, right? I mean, what about me? But no, he's like, Matthew 20, hey, I didn't even come to be served. Uh, I came to serve and to give. And so we get to flesh that out. But as you, as you read on, it says, let his mindset of humility, this is the Passion Translation, verse 5, Philippians 2, be your motivation. Mm. His mindset of humility be your motivation who emptied himself. So he he uh, did not come here like I would say even uh, having all knowledge, having you know this or that. Now did he did he have words of knowledge? Did he know the woman at the well was married five times? Yes, but he's deriving that from the spirit. Okay, so he's living a a life as a human being, but that's why he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, because I'm going to model for you how you're designed to live. We can't be deity in and of ourselves. He emptied himself of all the the all-knowingness. He wasn't omnipresent. Think about that. He he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, of of a man, became in the likeness of men. That's what I see in that, that he taught us and modeled for us that we can have supernatural ability and words of knowledge and gifts of miracles or those kind of things, but he derived all of them from his Father, Yes, uh, which is why 20 times it's recorded in the Gospels, follow me. So does, does that make sense oh, to you? Oh, yes. He's, yes. He's, he's emptying himself of all that deity stuff for you and me. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That, that So he could show us and model us that we live a life of deriving and dependence. We're gonna, whatever truth I get, I'm gonna derive it from the Father. Whatever goodness comes out of me, I derived it from the good Father. Uh, Whatever holiness comes out of me, I derive from the Holy One. That way we're not trying to be something in and of ourselves independent of God. Is it John 14 where he says, I say nothing? Apart from what the Father tells me? I Somewhere in John. Somewhere I don't know if it's 14. But yeah, he said, I only do what I see the Father do. Mm-hmm. I only say what I hear the Father say. So that's for us. Mm-hmm. you know. But I say that, but I think that also gives light into the truth we're talking about is he's living a deriving life. Wow. Yeah, he emptied himself of all the privilege of being God. This is incredible. Yeah. It is incredible that he would do that. It is. Uh, so that's what I see in that he is fully God and fully man. He, he, God was his father. Okay, Joseph was kind of the stepdad. Mm-hmm. He's the fill in there. Right. God was his father, whereas you and I have natural fathers. So we were, we were born into sin. He was actually born of the Spirit. Of the Spirit, yes. So, and then I think also he had an advantage that he came from God, John 13, 3. Mm-hmm. He came from God. He knew that all things had been given into his hands and that he was going back to God. He knew uh, what real reality was. He mm-hmm. knew the things of the Spirit is where life and joy is. So that's why you don't see him chasing after people's approval. He, he knew about the flattery of men. He, he knew not to seek honor from the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees. Is, does that make sense? Oh, yes. So he did have some built-in uh, advantages, if I could use that term. Mm-hmm and having the spirit without measure, whereas you and I have been graced and gifted certain aspects. That's why when you and I come together, we grow in grace because I submit to you, you submit to me, uh, I give my gifts to you, you give your gifts to me, and together, and if we had you know, two, three others, or even a hundred more in a, in a church body, then we grow in grace together and through our uh, humility and submitting to each other and our gifts and, and so forth, we give the world a more complete picture of Jesus. 
Does that make sense? So, yes, I can reflect Jesus in and of, they, when people see me, they can see him. But when I'm joined, you know, to other believers, then we really get a more complete expression yes. because he had it without measure. You and I have it in measure and grace That's gift. Awesome. That's awesome. In John 17, and I live in these verses, he says, and now I come to you. And in the original language, the word I and you is the same word. Oh, okay. It's a, and now I come to I, or you come to you. Huh. Okay. And then he says, I speak, I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I've wrestled a lot with my joy fulfilled. Yeah. And I think Holy Spirit revealed to me that his joy was the relationship mm-hmm. that he had with Father. Yeah. And that's what he wants for us. For us, right. Is to... His joy is fulfilled when we are in relationship with the, with the Father. Father. That was that was his assignment. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because all four Gospels plus Acts chapter 1 record, as people think his assignment was to die on the cross. That was only part of it because all four Gospels plus Acts chapter 1 record this statement. John the Baptist baptized with water unto repentance. Mm-hmm. But when I come, when Jesus comes, he will immerse you or baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Well, we can't, we can't have the Spirit of Christ in us without the cleansing of the temple. So the cross was a means to that end. Right. But ultimately, his assignment was to restore a relationship that man had with the Father all the way back in the Garden of Eden. That is really what he came for. <laughs> and if we stop at the cross and just celebrate the cross and yay the cross, Man, it's sad if you don't take the next step and receive the gift of the Spirit, which is why he came. Right. Uh, the cross was a means to that end. But I totally agree with you. I think that joy um, that Jesus talks about and manifests is the restoration of you and I's relationship with the Father. I'm reminded of John 16. He said, do not think uh, in that day that I'll have to go to the Father on your behalf. He said, for the Father himself loves you. And every time I read that, it's about John 16, 25, and 26. <laughs> I literally see this picture of Jesus taking our hand and then Jesus taking the Father's hand and putting them together. Because Put what he's saying is, I don't want you to think that, you know, the Father's out of reach for you. The whole reason I'm here is the Father himself loves you and he desires a relationship with you as he has with me. <laughs> yeah. And you're talking about what I learned most of my Christian life was that separation theology. Right. Where God's up in heaven. Right. Cheering or booing. (laughs) And usually. (laughs) If he's watching us, uh, mostly booing. Mostly booing. Um, So it's such an important experience in freedom to understand that the Spirit well, I'm, this is going to be kind of crude, okay. but most of for, for 5,000 years, Holy Spirit lived in a box in a tent. <laughs> right, right. And he was moving among temporary housing, you know, yes. Ark of the Covenant, the tent, the temple. Yeah. And then when Jesus cried on, died on the cross, he left that box right. and came into us. Right. Now we are the his temple. dwelling place. That's right. That is so true. Yep. And separation theology, you can you can believe he died on the cross and still live in separation <laughs> theology. So go back to what I was saying that the whole reason he went to the cross is so the Spirit of God could reunite and, and life our dead spirit so we could have the relationship with the Father once again. There are fifty there are fifty chapters in the Old Testament dedicated to the Old Testament tabernacle, which means dwelling place of God. Guess how many parts it is? Three. Three parts. There's an outer court, you and I's body. Mm-hmm. Then there's an inner court or a most holy place. That's the soul of a man, kind of in between the outer mm-hmm. and the inner. And then you've got the holy of holies, where the presence of God dwelt in that Old Testament tabernacle. Well, who's the tabernacle now? You said it earlier. We are. We are. So that goes back to how we started, that Christ's Spirit, which again is the reason he came, went to the cross so so we could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit comes into my inner chamber, into my spirit, and works from there to leaven 
the other two parts until what? The whole tabernacle is filled with the glory of God. Amen. Yeah, Amen. that's powerful. That is very powerful. Um, gosh, this is like fire hydrant stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like it. It's fun. It is fun. I love talking about this with you. <laughs> you get you're very passionate about this. I love your passion for this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, dead air. I don't want dead air. Okay. Uh, who? I, I'm going to kind of switch. Now. All right. Switch. Who is a person in your life that has had the most impact on you? Great question. <clears throat> well, my my pastor since '05 has been Dwayne Sheriff who's down in Durant, you know, and uh, they have, I don't know, 10 or 11 different locations, Oklahoma, Texas, Colorado even now. He's had a profound impact on me. I think I think pastors need pastors. Yes. And they tend to be isolationists. Yes. <laughs> like, I got nobody I can talk to. And that's not all their fault. No. Uh, there are people, you know, within the church that might breathe all the air out of the room if they really knew what a pastor or their pastor struggled with. Yeah. So pastors have to have places that they can go get their own healing. You know, sheep get wounded. We know that, but shepherds do too. Mm-hmm. They do, and they sheep bite. <laughs> sheep bite and goats <laughs> headbutt you. Yeah. Um, so they need place for their own healing, but they also need. I found, and you know me, Rick. We've done this for years. We'll have pastors luncheons and all that why do we do that because they need places to laugh about what goes on in church (laughs) you know and the drama that that uh, people bring in some of them are heathen who come to the church church is for imperfect people right i mean that's why we're there we've got a lot of broken people and then you got the saints uh the saints can cause drama through our immaturity or the same flesh that any pastor struggles with so I think Brother Dwayne helped me really, really see how the necessity that pastors need pastors. And I was in Colorado last year at a pastor's conference, and Dwayne was one of the speakers. There was about five or six speakers. And my unbiased opinion was absolutely that he was the best. And the reason is uh, when he shares his heart – so it's a ministry pastor's conference mm-hmm. – his heart for – for those pastors really comes out. And I love teachers and, you know, I love exhorters and even prophetic people. Those those are all great speakers. But man, it just it just really exudes out of him how much he loves and cares for uh under shepherds and what you know what they need and that they matter to the Father too. So I would say him, then I would say E. Stanley Jones. You've heard me quote him many times. Many times, Missionary yes. to India, yes. probably from like 1920 to 1970 or so. Wrote the book. He wrote a bunch of books, but the one that really impacted me was The Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I actually have that book. Do you? Uh-huh. He's got another one called 365 Days with E. Stanley Jones. It's just a uh, daily devotional. But he was the first guy I ever heard talk about that we were made as human beings by God and for God. So in other words, if I didn't, if I didn't choose forgiveness and I chose bitterness and hatred and anger or holding a grudge, that it didn't mesh well with me. I couldn't settle down into it. It wasn't, it wasn't edifying and peaceful uh, because I was made in the image of a God who is a forgiver. I'm made in the image of a God who loves unconditionally. I'm made in the image of a God who is the Prince of Peace, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when I operate in peace and forgiveness and love and joy, my heart sings. What I mean, that, that for me, and I definitely have a little bit of evangelist gift in me, that empowered me that the whole world needs Jesus, <laughs> that, that they're all made for him and that they cry out for him. And that when that sin isn't just bad, you know, the whole church thought that oh, sin is bad. Sin is bad for you. It's not good. And why? Because there's a law in your members that you're made for love. You're made for joy. You're made for forgiveness. If it looks good on Jesus, it looks good on you. You can't change that about yourself because you didn't make yourself. And so he was the first one I ever heard start talking about that and he called that work that design that blueprint for mankind the kingdom of god wow yeah and if you're focused on those things that you just mentioned then there's no room for condemnation 
Right. That's right. There is just no room for it. There's no place for it mm-hmm. because you're focused on how much God loves you. Right. You get to live full. You you don't you don't get into the lie of lack or that I'm not enough or I'm condemned or I'm judged. You know, we become like who we look at. So yeah. we need to just keep our eyes on him. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my testimony when I was 20. Remember, you know that story. Uh, in college, he came into my room yes. <laughs> by the Spirit, not physically. But he just spoke to me. He said, I don't love you because of what you do. I love you because of who I am. And he said, you you got to put your eyes on me. If you want to become like me, look at me. Mm-hmm. Stop looking at, you know, I just always looked at myself and felt like I didn't. I didn't measure up. So E. Stanley Jones was a huge one. Uh, Tudor Bismarck, uh, who's uh, oversees about 700 churches in Africa. <laughs> He's from Zimbabwe, but he comes to the States a lot. He's here about half the year and, and half the year there. He gave me a prophetic word in 2006 at a hotel in Oklahoma City. I'd never met the guy. Never met him. He calls me out of this room of 83 ministers, calls me to the front, and uh, basically told me that I had an anointing of Nehemiah, that I was a gatherer and I could gather gifts and offices together, that get people to work together that God needed so he could build what he wanted to build. That's... Yeah, and I after that, that I was fits. like, oh my gosh, yeah. And uh, that really impacted me. Because here's a guy from South Africa, never met me, and just spoke that, maybe called that out of me that I didn't even know was there. And so after that, I kind of got to know him. And he, when he'd come back to the States, I had some pastor friends, and we'd go listen and, and say hello to him. And Rick, uh, he would sit down. If he were here, he would talk just like you and me. He's very humble and uh, quiet and reserved. And yet here's a guy who has all that influence. In I mean, if you're overseeing seven or 800 churches, I mean, you're somebody – down on the continent of Africa, <laughs> but to talk to him, uh, super humble and just a great guy. That is a byproduct of knowing Jesus. I agree. Out of that relationship with Jesus comes humility because you, yeah. you, you come to terms with what you are not. Thank you. That's so good. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. The closer you get to him, the more you see him, the more... Uh, you realize you're not him, you know. And, and even though, as you said earlier, I'm one spirit, one spirit with him. Uh, man, the more dependent you become when you talk. Because oh, when I was growing up in church, it was kind of like, uh, you know, the more mature you are, the more independent you are. I got the Bible, I got the Holy Ghost, I got this, I can do all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're really sitting with Jesus, if you really know him, you're going to be like, Lord, I am utterly, absolutely dependent upon you. Well, and there again, if you know the Bible, yeah. if you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, then you have to know that you are dependent. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> and isn't it funny? Because he said the yeah. kingdom, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven belongs to three types of people, the poor in spirit. Yep. So think about that. And that's his first minute, his sermon. The first line of his sermon in the Bible is, blessed are the poor in spirit, all of heaven belongs to them. So now the criteria for relationship and walking with God is not your spiritual astuteness. It's actually spiritual bankruptcy. That's the criteria. <laughs> if you got nothing, you can have all that I have. Think about that. Yep. All of heaven belongs to you if you're willing to acknowledge that you don't have anything that you can bring to the table to make that happen. We always say that. Our contribution to this relationship with Jesus is to believe it. Yeah, amen. Believe it and receive it. Walk with it. it. Walk Mm -hmm. with it. That's all you can contribute. Yeah, amen. And then the other two, he said uh, the kingdom belongs to the children. Same thing. It's a dependent relationship. Mm -hmm. Children are needy. Uh, if you leave them unattended, they could die anywhere. anywhere so, yeah. so they're dependent. And then the other one was the persecuted. Um, those are the three uh, that he said the kingdom belongs to. But I, I started rejoicing the day I realized that my relationship with God would no longer be marked by my eagerness to achieve for him, but rather my willingness to receive from him. Amen. Yeah, if I'm willing as a branch to receive from the vine, man, Rick, if you can receive, you can live. That is the life of a branch. If you can receive, you can love. 
People try in churches, you try hard to love. I'm a Christian, I gotta love. Hey, you can't love if you can't receive. We love because he first loved us, right? If you can receive, you can live. If you can receive, you can love. If you can receive, you can forgive. And that means forgive yourself and forgive others that wrong you. You said this, receptivity precedes productivity. productivity. Yeah, that's it. That's the, that's the keynote of the kingdom, Matthew 5, 3. I, I use that all the time yeah. in counseling. Yeah. So when I was growing up in church, it was always get out there and produce. Yep. You're a Christian, you gotta go produce something. I can't produce anything apart from him. <laughs> now it took me years. I took it hook, line, and sinker, mm -hmm. and I tried. But I kept burning out and I kept find, you know, falling short and feeling condemned all the time. But uh, yeah, once you, once you realize that what we ought to be telling Christians is receive, 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 not produce, 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 then good fruit becomes the byproduct of our relationship yes. with Christ, not the basis of our relationship with Christ. And then you no longer have to do this stuff, you get to. That's right, you want to and you get, get to. Yep. Yeah. And I always love the, the examples on receptivity preceding productivity. So uh, a, a seed goes into the ground. Mm -hmm. It has to first receive the nutrients of the soil, the sunlight, and the water before it'll ever flower. But you know what it does before it does that? What? It dies. Yeah, that's right. It does <laughs> die. And life comes out and of death. Life comes out of that death. It becomes a new creature, a yep. new thing. Yep. And then same with a, a wife. She wants to bear fruit after her husband's kind. Well, she can run around the house all day long, tell him how much she loves him and serve him all day long and do this and I'll cook you dinner and, until she receives from him. Mm -hmm. She will never bear fruit after his kind, which we call what? Children. Children, yeah. You can't have uh, children or fruit only comes out of a union. So she has to receive of him. There's a union there, and that's the same for us, except, you know, as we receive out of our union with Christ, our children are called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit, Spirit. our husband's kind. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's great stuff. So you've already kind of answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Um, is there a time in... Is there a time in your life when you felt God intervene in such a way that it changed your whole direction? Yeah, I, I would go back to when I was 20, mm -hmm. and uh, I had asked Jesus into my heart when I was 13, but I, I went seven straight years <laughs> of performance-based Christianity where I was trying to live in such a way that he'd love me. I was trying to live in such a way that he would accept me. And man, Rick... Um, there's only two ways you can go in a self-based righteousness. You either go like, I'm incredible and I'm amazing and everybody should be like me and what's wrong with you people, mm -hmm. right? The guy went to the temple, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like that guy. <laughs> uh, I knew he was pointing at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and I were over there. We were the ones beating our breasts saying, oh God, please have mercy on me. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's only two ways you can go. That's one way in self-based righteousness. Mm -hmm. I went the other way. I always felt condemned, always felt like he couldn't possibly love me, felt like just a horrible Christian. And I thought that to myself. I'm 20 years old, I'm in college, I'm trying to live as a Christian on a baseball team where as far as I know, I mean maybe there were other Christians there, but they weren't practicing <laughs> Christians. So I'm trying to do all that, which you'd think would be, you know, score you some points, but I just felt so condemned all the time. And that's when he said, Steve, I'm, I'm not looking to you to determine whether I'm faithful or not. I don't, I'm not, I'm not letting, I don't give you the power to determine my character. And my character is one of commitment and absolute loyalty to you. And I had, in that moment, I, it, it hit me, I realized I didn't have the power to move him off of his love for me. <laughs> so that was incredibly life-changing. You mean you couldn't send him out? I couldn't send him out. That's a great way to say it. That's too great thing of a steal from you. Yeah, I couldn't send him out or send him away. Yeah. Uh, he was relentless in his love for me. Uh, even though my track record wasn't very sterling, man, he was relentless in his love for me. And I figured out God won't make me love him, but I didn't have the power to make him not love me. I didn't have the power to do it. So what can you do with that? Just what you said earlier. 
your role in this relationship is believe it mm -hmm. and receive it. And if you receive the mighty love of Christ, it'll it'll change you. It'll ch it'll change you. You'll want to give it away. Yeah. You'll want to share it. Yeah, it'll change you. So um, yeah, and uh, last thing on that question is, I ended up thinking, wow. If, if I already have his love, because he said, I want you to walk out of this dorm room today and live the rest of your life from my love, not for it. Well, that, that took me down a road, and I'm still going down that road today, 30 years later, of uh, if I already have his love, what else do I already have? What have I been trying to get that's already mine? Because, you know, he said, Steve, the day I came into you, when you were 13 years old, you had my, my love. It's, I, I didn't withhold anything from you. So if my love is in you, why do you work for it as though you didn't have it? And that's when I started thinking, man, what else do I have? Well, I have his righteousness. I have his holiness. I have all of that. It's already mine. Now listen to this. The moment you set out to go get one of those, you just told yourself you don't have one of them. Right. So think how many people, well-meaning Christians, go to church or help people across the street or do an outreach so God will love them. The moment you go try to get God to love you, you just told yourself he doesn't. And if you're telling yourself God doesn't love you, well, you're in unbelief, right? Anything exactly. not from faith is sin. So I was actually doing things from a place of sin and unbelief. I would go to church so he'd love me. Mm -hmm. I would help people so he'd love me. I would give money so he'd love me. And he said, Steve, all of that is rooted in unbelief. I already unbelief. do love you. I mean, that's, <laughs> so. you just said it. Sin is not behavior. Right. It's not stuff we do or don't yes, do. It's right. unbelief. That's right. And those things come out of that. That's, yeah. I've heard you say that before too. Yeah. Um, how do you hear God? <laughs> what a great question. Uh, I think it helped when I was 20. I think that familiarized me a little bit with who he really is. And so when I would hear voices of condemnation and guilt and shame, I knew it, I knew it wasn't him. Um, didn't mean the enemy didn't... Uh, beat me over the head for a few hours with it, you know, depending on what I'd done or whatever. But I think uh, a big part of it was having a familiarity with who he really is. I mean, think mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. Does what I'm hearing in my inner man or my mind, my thoughts, does that line up with the character of Christ and with the Scripture? So that was a big help. But then number two, this is major. Uh, I had written a book called Reformations in Prayer. Mm -hmm. It was the first book I ever wrote. And uh, one, of the, one of the reformations, I think there's six of them in there, one of them he gave me was that uh, you, why do you listen like I'm off in heaven hmm. somewhere, like I'm, I'm beyond the universe somewhere? He said, I live inside of you. So I want you to listen from within. Listen for my still, small voice, right? And uh, so I started learning to sit quietly and listen and listen for his voice from inside me and that really helped me a few years ago i don't know if you you'll probably we went to uh, we went on a board retreat yeah i remember scope ministries did some fishing <laughs> yep and i was up cooking breakfast and getting coffee ready probably about five thirty, and you came in and you started writing ah i you do said, remember that yeah. and you said god's telling me something and i'm writing it down yeah yeah. I'll never forget that. Yeah, and I think journaling helps. The yeah. Lord, he, I felt like he told me one time, if you'll bring a journal and a pen, it's faith on your part that you really do believe <laughs> I'm going to speak to you. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's a part of it, too. I do enjoy journaling. And then going back, go back and read all the good things he says about you. <laughs> we need to hear them. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, what limits you? Unbelief. <laughs> Just like the children of Israel. Unbelief. Uh, yeah, and there's still things in my life. My goodness, I've been pastoring, what did I say, since I was 24, even at Life Christian. He's telling me the other day, um, Steve, you love that. And I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still in the process of sanctification. So there's, you know, deeds of the flesh and 
thoughts of the soulish man sure. that still war against me. Sure. You mentioned that while ago about the enemy hitting you in the head. Yes. Well, the good news is he's not omnipresent. That's right. Because so he can only stand at the threshold and launch things at us or suggest yeah. things to us. Right. And we do all the work for him. That is true. Uh, I have taken the bat out of his hand many times <laughs> <laughs> and beat myself up. But again, I I think we, even that can be so self-righteous when oh, you think yes, about like, yes. Steve, come on, you're better than that. Am I really? I mean, <laughs> in my spirit, man, yes, I am. I'm a brand new creation. Uh, remade, right? Ephesians 2.10, recreated in his very in the image of his of his holiness and all that, but uh, I'm still lugging the earth suit around. Sure. The flesh is at war with the spirit, and so uh, yeah. I heard Andrew Farley say this: that yes, we still are at war with the spirit, but our default is the spirit. I mean, with the flesh, we're yeah. still at war with the flesh, but our default is the spirit. Yeah. And that, did he mean like? When we roll out of bed, or or what it, mean? it means that that we are no longer defined by the flesh; we are defined by the relationship. Yes, yeah, I'm with you, yeah. and I totally agree with that. Yep, totally agree with that. Um, I, mind renewal is big. Yeah, I wish I rolled out of bed full of the Holy Ghost, you know, <laughs> just praising God. And, but no, it's like man. Oh, good Lord, it's morning. You know, good lo- good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning. And then you gotta you gotta renew your mind. Isn't this interesting? About let's talk about uh, free will for just a minute. Sure. As a born, and I thought of this when when Andrew said what he said just a moment ago. So free will. I believe that when I was a sinner, I didn't have free will as much as I had free choice. My will was always bent towards sin. When I was a sinner. Mm-hmm. But once I got born again and became the possession of Christ's righteousness himself, mm-hmm. my will is now bent yes. towards goodness, towards righteousness. So I still have freedom of choice, but I like that my will it has been bent and is being bent towards goodness and righteousness, that that's my default. Yeah. That's my native land. That's where my heart sings, not, not in the world and all the things of the world. You, I think you said this too that a pig in mud is happy. Yeah. But you put a sheep in mud. He cries. He cries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I did say that. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one way we can tell. I remember a teenager came into my office one time and he was just beside himself, Rick. He had done something wrong with his girlfriend over the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they got physically intimate and he felt horrible. And he just thought God was going to wad him up and throw him in the trash. <laughs> but I said, listen, the fact that you're bothered by this, you, you, you don't want, you look back on it, you hate that this happened, you didn't want this to happen, it did happen, uh, is proof that the, the Spirit of God is at work in you. Yeah. So now you've got to rightly divide. He's not condemning you. No. He's convicting you, convincing you mm-hmm. of how righteous you are. Mm-hmm. And I know it goes against the flesh when you do a big piece of stupid, but you got to immediately renew your mind to how righteous you are, how holy you are. That is really who you are, and that didn't change it. If, if a, a behavior of mine didn't cause me to become right and give me a relationship with God, then a wrong behavior of mine is not going to cause me to not be right and not have a relationship with God. Nobody, that young man did not sin by the Holy Spirit. He sinned by the flesh. He didn't renew his mind. Mm -hmm. He got over into the flesh and the deeds of the flesh, fornication, were made manifest. Okay? If... um, so the best way out of that is you got to realign and renew your mind to the spirit. Mm-hmm. The spirit of, of that young man did not sin. Mm-hmm. The flesh did. You just defined confession. Yeah. Confession is saying what I did is not consistent with who, who you with made who me. Yep. Amen. Yep. That's right. Yep. Amen. We've all been there. What's your greatest fear? Huh. Uh, my greatest fear is that I'm I'm not safe. Hmm. That I'm not safe, and what I mean by that is, and I and I've come a long way in this. That was my answer a year ago, and that's the one that came to my mind. But you mean somebody else has asked this question? They have asked me that before. <laughs> <laughs> and my greatest fear is that if people knew 
who I really was, the mistakes I made, they wouldn't love me. Mm. And I, does that sound familiar? Yes. That was the 20-year-old <laughs> yeah. young man in the room in college. So uh, that's probably my, my biggest fear is just that rejection and that I'm not, I'm not safe. And maybe that's, co- that's common to all of us, that all of us want to know that even though we make mistakes and we do things we wish we hadn't done, that we're still loved and we still belong. I believe a man's, now I speak this from my position, a man's greatest fear is failure. Okay. I don't want to fail God. Yeah. And that I've, even though that's impossible. Right. And I know it's impossible. Yeah. But I still struggle with, is this thing I just did, am I failing God? Yeah. And I, I don't think I struggle with that that much. But boy, I do, I do see it. Uh, I definitely have come across it where is this enough? And, uh, and we might get that from our own dads or whatever. I, I somehow along the way I got convinced that if anything good was going to happen, it was going to be him. He was going to do it. He was going to build Grace Church. He was going to make it what it needs to be. Uh, my bigger fear is just that I'm disappointing him with my performance. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord, well, doggone it. That's kind of the same thing. Well, yeah, except except yours has the connotation in my mind of achievement. Mm-hmm. You know, something for him that he'd yeah. be proud of. Yeah. Mine has to do with probably just personal. Yeah, uh, I don't want to disappoint him either. Yeah. Do you feel like you're part of a team? Uh, I do. I want to say this, too. I just feel impressed in my spirit that maybe for those that are listening, the only way we can we can fail him really is to not receive of him. Success in this life is John 17, 3, mm-hmm. that you know the one and only true God whom Jesus uh, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Everything now comes out of that success. Mm-hmm. That That is how we, I mean, how a man defines success is huge. Mm-hmm. So if success is, have you begun a relationship in a, in a daily walk with the Spirit of Jesus Christ? If you're doing that and embarking on that, then you're already a success, man. It's all gravy after that. It's all gravy. Yeah. And by the way, I say I, I, I'm, I'm afraid of failure. I actually don't believe in failure. Yeah. I believe in opportunities, mm-hmm. opportunities to trust God. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So your other question was, do I feel part of a team? Absolutely. I feel like I'm part of the the kingdom of God that's at work all over the world. What a great team to be yeah, a part of. That's a great team to be a part of. Yeah. I wish more of the team could see that we're on the same team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. that is the reality. We're, we're born of the same father, washed in the same blood. Um, cleansed you know by the same holy spirit all all that born again by the same holy spirit we're already one in the spirit if christ is in you and he's in me we're already one what happens is man allows man-made barriers to get in whether it's our denominations or i can't walk with you because i don't believe that and you know where we elevate what we believe about god as higher than god himself but none of us have perfect theology rick None. No, I mean, you got to be pretty arrogant to believe that, like, I got, I, I see it all perfectly. Bill Gillum. Yeah. Perfect theology. Two ticks and no dog. Two ticks. Two ticks. <laughs> you have to edit that out. <laughs> Two ticks and no dog. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Two ticks and no dog. Always looking for life out of uh, no supply. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's great. That's great. Um, gosh, I am really enjoying this. And we only have about two minutes left. We'll have to come back and do it again. Uh, we can always do a part two. Okay. But I'm going to ask one more question. All right. What will you do when you retire? Hmm. I don't, I don't believe there's any retiring in the kingdom. I think till the day you die, man, you're engaged with the Father's purposes, like whatever it is. I think if I'm ever not senior pastor of Grace Church, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to write books. I'm going to enjoy pine trees, uh, enjoy my family, uh, probably invest more in them than I do now. That might be one of my regrets that I think I could be better at. Uh, but I also I also can see that I think that 
the future is good. And if I'm not pastoring at Grace Church, I'll have, I'll still be investing. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to know Jesus and make him known, right? Right. Next weekend, I turn 71. Wow. I have no intention of retiring. Right. There is no retiring in the kingdom. There is no retiring. Mm -hmm. I've discovered this microphone. Yeah. I can sit behind this microphone and ask questions. Yeah. Hey, you did good. Well, thanks. I enjoyed all your questions today. Well, that's it. Pastor Steve Eden, thank you, sir. You are most welcome. Thanks for having me. And I want to do a part two. Let's do it. Okay. All right.